Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Westwood One presents The Polsters. The Polsters. And now, Margie and Kristen. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So welcome back, everybody. It's so good to be back with you. I had proposed uh, to Margie that if if jet lag was still uh, a thing and I needed to fly solo, I was going to do an episode that would be entitled Rogue One. Kristen goes Han Solo and would just do another – but I couldn't find any good, like, new, fresh Star Wars polling, which mm. bummed me out. But I was making a list. It was going to be, like, Oprah's favorite things episode when she, like, at the end of the year is like, I'm just going to – everybody, look under your chair. Look, here's a poll about <laughs> Tim Tebow. Like, that was – I was so – I was geared up for it, but we're just – we're going to save it for what some jet time. lag? I always get up at 1 in the morning for the day. I don't know what you're talking about. It's this totally good normal. good jet lag. I'm going to Hawaii in a couple of weeks, and that jet lag coming the other direction is going to be horrible. Yeah. I mean – I've never been that far that direction around the globe. So that's going to be a blast. Yeah. I mean, it's – I mean, up is down and down is up. It is completely – cuckoo land um and when you have little kids who are kind of in it with you for like the like hey mom we're up to you know yep. it's, it's 3 30 and like we're ready to get up and it's uh and you got to give them bats at 4 30 because they fell asleep just sort of dropped dropped to their knees at like five o'clock the day before without any bat. anyway it's all it's you know it's a little cuckoo so i don't have a lot of new news to report i'm still trying to process george michael well, that's I, basically I, my only opinion well of the day. i i only have two pieces of news these aren't really pieces of news but more like things that i discovered while randomly flipping through tv channels during one of my i did a st- like a staycation day like i came back Smart. from my in-laws for the holidays and just spent a day where like i don't think anybody knew that i was in town i wasn't responding to e- i was just i'm like i'm off did the you grid tweet? No, I got off of Twitter for the holidays, and it was wonderful. Oh. It was so glorious. Um, and so I got an Apple Watch for Christmas, oh, which showed good. up as my husband putting an Apple and my father-in-law's watch into a box and wrapping it the morning of Christmas. So, like, it was a super last-minute uh, improvisation. <laughs> but it, what he said is, I'm giving you the present of you not having to look at your phone all the time, which is great. It's totally true. Now I can just keep my phone away. 
it pokes me on the wrist if I really need to see something, but otherwise I can like live my life in normal peace. Yeah, I think that's good. I think my husband would also like to give me the present of not looking at my phone all the time, and I think he would do that by just putting my phone in like the garbage disposal. <laughs> He'd be like, "Merry Christmas!" But you'd have to if you then you bring it back and be like, "Can you guys fix my screen?" And be like, "Not anymore." Not the fourth time not again. In, in seven months. But so while I was on this staycation day, just flipping randomly through channels, I stopped on. There was an episode of The Simpsons on. And I, my husband is a big Simpsons fan. I, what's weird is like I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons growing up. It was like, oh, that like, that show is too, too inappropriate for children. Bart says the word fart, and that's like, whoa. <laughs> so now, like, I watch it as an, and I'm so sad that I never had The Simpsons growing up because I feel like Lisa Simpson would have been a very important role model, like, role model Style for me. Icon, like, I would have yeah. felt less alone in the universe yeah, had I yeah. known that Lisa Simpson existed. So yeah. anyhow. But so rewatching it was the it was a 2008 episode called E Ralph or E Pluribus Wiggum, which there's a character named Ralph Wiggum who's like a dorky kid in the school, and he winds up. It's all about the 2008 election, and so they're in New Hampshire. It's the like, or they're talking about New Hampshire, but Springfield moves up, so their primaries before New Hampshire or something. Anyhow, Ralph Wiggum's slogan is he talks about we're going to make America great again. They do a focus group in the episode, really? and I was dying. Oh, it's so they, they have like Homer Simpson and some of the characters all sitting around, and they're like testing political ads on them. It hit too close to home. So everybody, if you get a chance, go find the E Pluribus Wiggum episode from 2008 of The Simpsons. Yeah, one day we're gonna do a show that is just only supercuts of focus groups in fiction and drama. Yeah. Well, and when I googled, I wanted to find the clip. So we could make post it in the show notes, and there are is more than one clip. And I mean, of course, there are like a thousand Simpsons, more than a thousand Simpsons episodes. I'm sure. I mean, it's crazy, but there's uh, more than one focus group. There's more than one focus group. See. <laughs> so Simpsons has tackled this question before. That's good. That's good. Um, but the, then the second thing, which I think was less interesting, was a commercial for Stamps.com came on, and I'm 99% sure they have the same music in their ad as we do as our intro song on this podcast. Ooh. Like, I made my husband back it up twice. I was like, I think that's – wait, is that the pollster's music? We're going to get some royalties. Um, uh, yeah, maybe maybe they can be one of our sponsors. That's right. We've already got the same music going on. That's right. Okay, so we have some very simple requests. So, what are the top lines this week, Kristen? Uh, the top lines this week. Could Obama actually win if he ran against Donald Trump? Politico and Morning Consult have tested that theory. We'll take a look at what the polling actually says. Then, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. How voters are looking at, uh, from different parties, are looking at the election results now that a little more time has passed. Do you think that you are getting what you deserve? And do you think other groups are getting what's theirs? We'll take a look at some pretty distressing polling about whether or not people think that other groups besides people like them are getting more or less than they deserve in American society. We'll take a look at whether voters have confidence in Donald Trump across a variety of metrics and how it stacks up to previous presidents. Then we'll look at whether or not the parties themselves, uh, people are, are uh, in different parties, are viewing the future of their party as positive or negative and the way that ideology has been scrambled around a whole host of different issues. And then last but not least, we'll dig into some polling on favorite George Michael songs. Right. But first we have our poll of the week. So our poll of the week, I think poll, we have several polls of the week. 
I think we should put them in air quotes because they're not really quite poles. Yeah, this is uh, we we normally are all about the scientific rigor, and we leave the like phony baloney polling for the end. But but this is these were entertaining. There's phony. also not a ton of new polling. I mean, we looked for stuff for I looked for stuff for this show, and it was harder to find. Right. I mean, people Super. were taking a break. Look, because it's not smart to poll over the holidays because yeah. people are away and response rates are even lower. So, you know, and the people who are doing this for a living, whether they're callers or analysts, are also taking breaks. So there's not a lot of brand new uh, brands making new polling. But there is an online poll um, about who should replace Megyn Kelly. It had 39,000 votes, which I think is pretty incredible. And they had a whole slew of people. Um, who should replace her on Fox News. And Laura Ingram, by not a large margin, but got a plurality of the votes, uh, about 27%, um, with, I don't know how to sell her, say her last name, Tommy Laren, the that youngster, um, very passionate youngster. Um, so she <laughs> got about 19%. I just, just wait, I'm like... How is Margie going to describe this? I mean, you know, she's not, I mean, she has a huge following. She gets, she doesn't pop up in my feed, but I've, I've heard about her and, you know, she's sort of, you know, she seems very talented at making a passionate case. Um, anyway, so she came in second, I guess that reflects her, um, you know, her following, although some of these other people on this list are sort of, are, I just don't see how that would, they like Don Lemon and Savannah Guthrie or Billy Bush. Team Dana Perino. Billy Bush, yeah, right. I mean, you know, Billy Bush is probably not really. That's kind of like Brianna Keeler, one hundred and fifty-six yep. votes. Yep, the namesake of our truth-telling and polls award. That's right. That's right. I, you know, I don't know if those folks oh. are in the running or if this is just for fun. But this poll was actually one of the. You know, it was got a lot of action in the last day or so on our um, Facebook feed, and clearly got a lot of action yeah. on the Mediate website because they kept the polls open for a long time. And then the other quote-unquote poll of the week that made some news. It's not really a poll, but it's Marsha Blackburn just having a Twitter poll on Twitter saying, do you support the reveal of Obamacare? RT, if you do, and share what you want to see as the replacement. And 84% said no. And she had 8,000 votes. I don't know what how many followers she has. But anyway, that just happens sometimes. This is why Twitter polls are not polls because, you know, that doesn't really quite match up. I mean – it, well, first of all, it's not what she expected. Obviously, I mean, it's it's not really putting a finger on this, the the thumb on the scale in this case. True, which the poll conducted by Gary Carrie Fisher's dog's Twitter account, uh, I think, does uh, put. Well, it says a fun poll. Your favorite dog, Lassie, three percent. Benji, two percent. Airbud, four percent. Ninety one percent. Gary. Yes, and so Gary, it was Carrie Fisher's therapy dog and he's a french bulldog who is just uh, one of my favorite types of dogs and uh and would just go on interviews with her um and became a national sensation so he has a twitter account obviously not actually gary but somebody else who manages the account obviously also uh, it's obvious but anyway gary is well loved and probably knew he's probably getting the answers to his twitter poll that he expected yes (laughs) so there was uh, one of I, I did not do very much TV at all. Again, I was like, oh, I'm totally off the grid. I'm not here. Nobody bother me. But there's one day when I did like a whole bunch of, of, of segments just to feel kind of productive. And it was a day right after Obama had said in an interview, if I ran against Donald Trump, I would have won a third term. People would have voted for me. And so, of course, this caused like 
brouhaha because conservatives say, look, he's so arrogant. He thinks he's so fabulous. Look, this is just another example. Uh, so Morning Consult and Politico actually tested it. They're like, let's find out what do people think if the election was between Trump and, and Obama, who would win? And they find that it would be very close. Um, you have 44% saying they would vote for Obama, 45% saying they would vote for Trump, 11% saying they don't know or have no opinion. Um, among Democrats, 12% say they would vote for Trump, which I thought was interesting. 9% of Republicans would vote for Obama. And independents were pretty split, although independents actually broke more heavily for Obama. The reason why Trump wins, I think, is is it that 12% of Democrats that break for him? Yeah. Yikes. Well, is that is that those, you know, upper Midwest, like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, is it those – those voters? I don't know. I don't know. But what I thought was also interesting about this poll is when they asked people, do you think Obama would have won? So there are two separate questions. Who would you vote for and who do you think would have won? In the who would have won question, 47% uh, agreed with Obama and said he would win. 42% said Trump would win. So there 47%. was actually – 47%. That's right. Every time I see 47% come up in a poll, like – in favor of the Democratic position or Obama or anything like that. I'm always just like, pour one out for Mitt Romney. <laughs> I know. 47% of Americans, they uh, want food. They for- think they're entitled to food. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I thought that was I thought that was interesting that that the, the actual vote was just a little bit different than what people thought the vote might be, which I guess mirrors what actually happens yeah, in our I, I election. I will be honest with you. I'm a little surprised at how close this is. I would have – because it sort of undercuts the idea that – the reason why Hillary Clinton lost is that she herself was some uniquely weak candidate and that had Democrats run somebody else, they would have won fabulously. I mean, that this poll suggests to me, well, one, Trump probably gets a little bit of a bump because everybody loves a winner. But two, um, that, that this was a lot about like, we don't want a third term of Obama. Which was always the question was how close was Hillary Clinton going to stay to Obama? But he's had high favorables and job ratings. Which is why I'm so surprised that this number came back this way. His approval rating is good. His favorables are – they've like – they had never been better as people looked at this field of candidates and was like, oh, well. But anyhow, so I I was surprised. I was ready. When I heard that, I was like, oh, Obama, why why are you even going there? But then I thought, well, he might be right. But this – I know. I know. But, you know, but this is also a national poll, so we don't know what the Electoral College would have looked like. It might have looked a little bit different. But that's very true. At any rate, um, but it was, uh, you know, that issue of what happens is there a bump afterwards? Do you wait by the actual votes is something we don't know or really need to know ultimately the guts of this particular poll uh, for this purpose. But this is something that happens a lot of discussion. Like, do you actually, and I think YouGov discussed this and why their polls were more stable. Because they wait and, back to they who wait, you voted for. In who the you past. voted for, which other people don't, because people then say, oh, I voted for the winner. You know, there's a, there's a bump for whoever won because people don't want to admit that they voted for someone who didn't win. Um, although I think there's another poll, which we don't have in here, showing that few people had regrets for who they voted for or would have changed their mind. Yeah. I forget which poll that came from. But so um, at any rate, interesting thought that maybe, you know, maybe Obama's perception is in line with what other people's perceptions are. But that actually, in the reality, maybe not actually where he thought it was. So but it's not just Morning Consult and Politico that are still 
revisiting 2016, Pew had a really interesting study. And there's a lot in this Pew study. It's not just the couple things we're going to highlight. There's tons of stuff. So folks should take a look at it. As always, we link to it in the show notes. But what I found particularly interesting was the – and Kristen, I think, found this even more interesting than I did – how people change their reaction to the election – Obviously, not just the Democrats, you know, were initially excited and then were upset when Trump won. But more than that, they were more disappointed and less angry than they thought they would be. Yeah, I was not I wasn't expecting that. I, I wonder if it's because, you know, sort of like reality setting in, like, are we in the acceptance stage of grief here for Democrats? Maybe. That this, you know, before the election, Pew had asked, how would you feel about Donald Trump winning the presidential election. And among Republicans back in May, you had 29% who said they were excited, uh, 30% who'd say they would be relieved, 29% who said they'd be disappointed, and 9% who said they'd be angry. Surprise was not a category. Surprise was not a category. <laughs> um, so, I mean, first of all, 9% of Republicans said they'd be angry if Trump won. That has now gone. There's right. zero percent Republicans, Republicans came home. Angry. I mean, that was one of the Republicans clear patterns. came home. And those who, you know, relieved even uh, or pardon me, disappointed even shrunk. Only 13 percent of Republicans say they're disappointed that Trump won. You've got a huge chunk, 48 percent who say they're relieved um, and 38 percent who say they're excited. So excitement about Trump's victory has gone up dramatically from pre-election among Republicans. Right. And also May. I mean, there was still primary contests yeah, going May on. Yeah, May was still like, oh, I mean, I think we were talking about like, is there going to be a floor fight at the convention? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was still much less clear. But even the change from November to now of Republicans going like, all right, cool, let's uh, let's do this. Let's give this a try is fascinating. But I am, I, I, you are right. I am most surprised by the Democratic reaction. So, you know, 45% in May said they'd be angry about Trump winning. That shrunk to 42% in September, shrunk to 39% in November, has shrunk to 26% now. Yeah. Only one out of four Democrats are angry about Donald Trump winning the election. 64%, by contrast, say they are disappointed which is an increase from before. So it is the I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed, America. I, that's I, that's the the vibe this poll is saying. All right. I mean, maybe it's an act of self-care, protection. Like I can't – you can't be – have your anger dialed up to 11 every day otherwise. Or, you know, some people can. And, you know, it's not that people aren't fighting because obviously Democrats are really coalescing in the fight against Trump in all kinds of issues and ways, um, whether it's the march or folks on the Hill. Um but the disappointment versus anger, yeah. I mean, that's that's interesting because right? it is not. I, but I, I also wonder if it's like that in the in the abstract. If you think that Trump's not going to win, it's easy to be like, oh, I'd be so ticked off if he won. And then once it happens, like you, I mean, then it's no longer this hypothetical. It's like, I just yeah, I just don't have the energy to be angry. Yeah, right. I'm just taking a break from the anger. Um, so there was another thing in this Pew poll that I thought was pretty interesting, and it tied into something that got released right after we recorded our last episode in 2016. And so Pew asked, uh, and they asked this by party, do you think your party, you know, they asked about the Republican Party among Republicans and about the Democratic Party among Democrats, d does it do too much, the right amount or not enough? Um, for a variety of different groups to address the concerns of men, women, whites, blacks, Hispanics, people living in cities, people living in rural areas, all the things you hear discussed as part of the various postmortems 
on all sides in all kinds of elections. Um, and so this, I thought, was was very, very interesting. So among Democrats, the, the group that Democrats were most likely to say that their own party does too little to address their concerns were people in rural areas, um, which I think reflects some of the conversations that Democrats have been having. So about 64 percent said that uh, Democrats do too little. But half or near half said that the Democratic Party does too little to address the concerns of black voters or the concerns of Hispanic voters or of women voters around, you know, between 43 and 50 percent said that. Among Republicans, um, there was no group that Republicans, a majority, you know, I guess it's getting close with rural areas that Republicans said our party does too little to address those concerns. Um, and in fact, you had, uh, you know, so the most was rural uh, people live in rural areas. And then about a third, a quarter to a third said, you know, blacks and whites. But about as many said that the Republican Party does too little to address the concerns of white voters. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the Republican Party sort of um – being pretty satisfied with itself right now yeah. is is what this is. And I mean, this is I'm, – I'm now jumping forward to a poll that we were going to talk about later in the show. But, you know, the, there's a – I think it was uh, – was it Pew or Gallup that asked, you know, are you uh, are you optimistic about the future of your party? Oh, that was not? also Pew, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and they it, all reversed. Yeah, yeah and it, before the election, Republicans had been like – not very optimistic about the future of their party, Democrats feeling pretty good. And after the election, that's flipped. I mean, Republicans are feeling pretty, pretty satisfied with themselves right now. We're talking to everybody just right. And of course, this is the stuff that keeps me up at night because I am, I am the skunk at the garden party that's like, no, guys, you still have to address voter concerns. Yes. All is not well. Millennials not even on here, by the millennials way. Millennials not even on here. I know. Well, you know, I think the other thing, too, is for Republicans, I mean, even if you were not asking this right after the election and in a political context, like in a hot political moment, I mean, Republicans as a, 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 you know, not all Republicans, but as a group generally, you know, shun these questions of are you doing enough to address the concerns of this one particular group? That's doesn't seem to be part of the Republican. No. Plan, right? The Republican platform, Republican, you know, value set for Democrats. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Democrats did very well with black voters. Uh, so this, this, I think that that half say we're not doing well enough to reach the address the concerns of black voters does not necessarily doesn't really reflect so much how the Democratic Party performed with some of these groups as much as you know th- this is what we need to be doing. This is what our party believes in, and we're not doing enough because there are all these you know goals and and problems that, and uh, and policy issues that we want to continue debating and and trying to solve. So I think that reflects not just the electoral results, but also differing value sets. But I thought it was pretty interesting. Also, it reflects. Or it's comparable to, or I guess touches on some of the same issues from this YouGov Huffington Post poll that we put on our Facebook feed uh, in 2016, and it got you know more shares I think than anything we've ever put on our Facebook feed. So like thousands of people had seen it, lots of you shared it, and it asked uh, a variety of voters, "Do you think?" Blacks have gotten less than they deserve. Do you think average Americans have gotten less than they deserve? So it's different types of questions, right? And comparing um, how different groups answered those questions differently. And uh, there, among Clinton voters, there was no difference. The same amount, majorities of Clinton voters say blacks have gotten less than they deserve. And also Amer- average Americans have gotten less than they deserve. Among Trump voters, 
Twelve percent of Trump voters say blacks have gotten less than they deserve, while two thirds of Trump voters say average Americans have gotten less than they deserve. I mean, that is a striking, striking finding. But in a, in a way, it's not surprising because it fits perfectly in with the the message that the Trump campaign used, which was, "Hey, you, the little guy, you're getting screwed." And here, I'm going to explain to you all of the people that are taking from you what's yours. Right. And so it, it it does not surprise me at all that the result came out this way for Trump voters. Yeah. Not even a little bit. And it, it goes to this point, which, you know, polls continue to show, but it's still we – not – Chris and I, but sort of we collectively who talk about polling and politics, I think sometimes struggle on how to discuss this, like the role of race and and uh, and hostile views on race and what role that all played in the election because it played a role. Did it play the entire role? Well, you know, no, um, but it did play some role. And looking at this particular finding is really incredibly striking. I mean the. Um, the authors of the article at the Huffington Post uh, refer to this as the ultimate attribution error. That's a psychologist, uh, psychology term. Um, and there's a similar term for when you're talking about yourself too, which is, you know, if, if you do something wrong and you're with another group, that must be because of something's wrong with you as a group. But when, you know, for, it, for us, if we do something right, it's because, you know, we're, we have really great, um, great characteristics. And it, it, there was a similar way of thinking about like what happens to you personally. When you have when something happens to you, if something bad happens to you, do you think it's somebody else's fault or is it your own fault? If someone else does something bad, like they cut you off in traffic, is because something's wrong with them or is it they're just, you know, it, it, do you do you assign a benign uh, attribution, benign reason, or do you think, um, you know, you think there's some, like they're a jerk, right? And so this is part of how people view other groups. And I think that's reflected in some of these results. But I, I find it upsetting. I don't know. This is like a problem for not just Trump or the Republican Party, but all of us, that this is such a massive divide. And it's how people, the lens through which people view all kinds of policy issues, health care, entitlements, Food, people don't want education, people, I mean, everything, I, this housing. Was, you, you, if for these, the sixty-four percent of Trump voters who think average Americans have gotten less than they deserve, it's a. I feel like I work really hard. I feel like I'm in, entitled to this American dream, at least a little bit. I feel like things are getting worse, and so I'm looking for someone else who's not working, who I perceive is is not working as hard as me, or doesn't, you know. Who is who is going to get taken care of? But I'm not getting taken care of. That's what this is, which is is exactly I think the the sentiment that motivated a lot of people to say, well, Donald Trump's finally going to look out for someone like me because no one's been looking out for someone like me all along. Right. So I mean, it that's why it doesn't surprise me at all that it turned out this way because this is exactly the sort of feeling that. Trump knew a lot of voters had, and that's what he ran his campaign on. I mean, I think a silver lining from this election in terms of race, if one can be found, because it's very upsetting for folks on the left, myself included, is, you know, highlighting how deep some of these divisions are in a way that for, you know, some folks who maybe thought that these divisions were in our rear view, you know, far, far away in our rear view mirror. We're not as salient and here on bubble up to the surface as they seem to be. So anyway, check it out. A lot of folks found that article interesting. Um, and then this is, you know, now 2016, maybe in our rearview mirror for the show, <laughs> and moving on to what people think of the incoming administration. So now that we are 
moving into the Trump era. It's it's happening. It's real and it's happening. Inauguration is coming up. Are you going to be participating in any inauguration fun or are you going to be evacuating? Um, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be marching. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I'm going to be hosting marchers. I'm talking to marchers. So... All right. Yeah. So I'll be part of. I'll, I'm part of the resistance. Well, I'm. I'm trying to figure out. I, I'm going to be here for the inauguration because I'm going to be doing some of ABC's coverage around it. Um, and then the next day, I'm emceeing like a a thing that has. It's it's not like a partisan thing. It's like high school kids come to DC to like just experience democracy in action, <laughs> the peaceful transition of power. You're laughing. It is. It's, I'm. I'm. I, I have to say, I'm very glad that the former presidents are all coming. Because it's the peaceful transition of power, and I think it's it's good that we need to keep some of these norms. In no, fact. you're right. You're right. As as weird as this moment feels, and as much as people don't want to normalize Trump himself, I think I'm I'm glad that so, this is my like small it's, it's temperamental conservatisms coming it, out. Like I like preserving norms and traditions. This matters. Yeah, I I, know, it, I mean it's it's. It's con- you know it's easy to be conflicted, right? I'm yep. conflicted about it, right? Because you feel like, but I see this train coming, and shouldn't we all do something, right? And on the other hand, you're right, and I I, I do think having you know demonstrating that there's a peaceful transition of, par- of power is you know is its own end, it's- and hopefully this will not be the last peaceful transition of power. In okay, let's talk about this Gallup Okay, poll, so let's talk exciting. about this Gallup poll. Sorry, sorry, sorry. All right. Uh, so according to Gallup, Americans are less likely to say they are confident in Trump's ability to do a lot of key things compared to their assessment of other incoming new presidents. Um, so they have asked in the past, how much confidence do you have uh, in this person over the next four years to prevent major scandals in your administration, handle an international crisis, use military force wisely, manage the executive branch effectively? On almost all of these metrics, President George W. Bush got 70-plus percent confidence. Obama, 70-plus percent confidence. Trump, hmm. it's less than half for, 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 those, for three of those things I just pointed out, scandals, international crisis, and military force. Um, Trump gets over the 50 percent mark for managing the executive branch effectively, 55 percent for defending U.S. interests abroad. Uh, he gets 59% for handling the economy effectively, which this is the first time that's ever been asked. Right. So there's no comparison on that one. And that's always had been one of his strong points in the polls. Right. And then working effectively with Congress to get things done. Which, 60%. Well, he's got a Republican Congress. Not going to be. Well, you think it's not going to be quite They've as already hard. had some fights. They're, yeah. As I was walking in here, I saw the, the McCain talking at the hearing about Russia and stuff. And I thought, oh, there's already been two, there's already like three battles. There was the ethics, gutting the ethics office battle, yeah. which he, you know, put the kibosh on with a tweet. There's Well, but Tillerson I will say, I don't think it was nominees. Trump's tweet. I think it was like the phones melting true, down in Congress. True. Right. But he, you know, he kind of expedited it, right? Yeah. You have the McCain and so on and Tillerson, et cetera. And then, um, and then Obamacare behind the scenes. And that I think was brewing as we were walking in here. That's, you know, that's still obviously a lot happening there. Anyway, so maybe, you know, his biggest strength may not actually even happen. But it, what was interesting about Gallup's explanation here is that they said a lot of this record low uh, ratings here for Trump come from Democrats and to some extent independents who don't give him a whole lot of benefit of the doubt. Um, 
you know, Trump does best with Democrats on working effectively with Congress and handling the economy where he does better overall. But uh, but with, a you know, some of these measures here, fewer than a fifth say of Democrats say that they are confident that he's going to do a good job on some of those things. Yeah, this is the the. The, the decline among independents is pretty stark. I mean, and this just goes to the everything is partisan. Right. The, you know, a, any question, if you mention Obama or Trump or Clinton or whomever, it it instantly just puts everybody in their camp. And if you're a Republican, it's like, oh, Clinton's bad. Trump is good. Obama's bad. Right. Mitch McConnell's good. Right. I don't think many Republicans do take a lot of polls about Mitch McConnell. But I mean, the... Um, so uh, this uh, this also raises for me the question then of okay so does this mean so is this just a sign of increasing partisanship and polarization and people just like oh you're not in my party I don't want you but then for the independents I mean they're not partisan so it's not it so their decline is not about partisanship and polarization but you've also had a decline in confidence in all sorts of institutions Confidence in the media, in Wall Street, in big business, in police, in military. So is it just that nowadays people are less likely to say they are confident in anything to do anything well? Yeah. In general. Right. I don't know. How much of it is Trump-specific? And I'm not arguing that it's right. not Trump-specific, but just that there is – Because the difference between high and low, the things at the top of the list and, top, and the bottom of the list are very much Trump-specific. I mean the fact that scandals – International crisis are at the bottom of the list reflect the, his vulnerabilities yeah. all this time, right? That he's just going to do or say something crazy. He's got his finger on the button. You know, we've heard that in Republicans and focus groups. You know, so those things are Trump specific. Um, we did a poll, PSB, uh, along with Burson Marsteller on uh, with the uh, general public as well as with technology elites uh, in time for a CES in Vegas. And they found, we found in this poll, uh, 59% of tech elites believe the Trump administration will be favorable to the tech industry. So tech folks are optimistic, but half of the general public felt that Trump would be favorable to the tech industry. So at least on that measure, people have some optimism. We don't have any tracking, sadly, to past presidents. Well, but we'll, we'll have to uh, see how this tracks over the course of the administration. Yes, if people are being prescient or partisan. Or both. So as a, a Republican who does not who, – who has my serious questions about the future of the party, given the election of Donald Trump, uh, I have finally found a piece of polling news that makes me a little excited. Uh, it's, it's taking a look – Gallup has been taking a look at – well, first of all, whether people are considering themselves more likely to say, oh, I'm liberal, I'm moderate, I'm conservative. But then Pew took a look at where people think that Donald Trump falls on the ideological spectrum. Um, so overall, Gallup goes back to the early 90s, finds that the word liberal is actually getting more popular. Um, I think conservatives have done a pretty good job of making liberal this like bad word. Yes, there was once a, upon a time when I first started this career back when I had to go to the internet room, which you know, where you, people had to go check their email in a separate room. Um, there were ads in races where I worked where um, it was basically like if it- The liberal agenda. No, worse than that. If it looks oh. like a liberal and talks like a liberal and they're like a duck quacked, oh, I think I have really? that right. People tweet us Whoa. if I have that wrong. But you know, it wasn't very complicated. It was just like liberal 
Ta-da! Like, the end. <laughs> so it was, has been a dirty word for a long, long time. And so that's why – isn't that part of why – I would actually encourage our liberal slash progressive listeners to school me on this. Um, but on the question of the difference between liberal and progressive, is it that they are both intended to mean the same thing in the American context? Because, of course, the word liberal internationally actually like – I am probably a quote-unquote liberal in – the UK, in Germany. It, I mean, liberal is the name of the conservative party mm-hmm. in Australia. So, like, the word liberal in some places means, like, liberty, freedom. It's not, like, a left-right kind of thing. It's, like, a markets thing. Um, anyhow, but I know that recently progressive has become the word of choice for folks on the left side of the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. But this suggests that liberal itself is making a comeback. Right. Right. I mean, I guess, you know, that phase is now over. Yeah, only 17% of people in 1992 considered themselves liberal. That has gone up to 25%. Yeah. It's a it's a high going back all the way to the 90s. But it's still interesting that this does not really exactly track with party ID. So in this Gallup trend, conservatives are still a plurality. You'll find a lot more conservative Democrats than you'll find liberal Republicans mm-hmm. um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and you'll find a lot more moderate Democrats than you will moderate Republicans because Republicans have so embraced that label of conservative. Right. Right. Um, but if you look at party ID, you don't see Republicans at the top of party ID for Con- years the way this poll shows just once in a while. Yeah, once in a blue moon. conservative is up at the top, but Republican has not been the dominant party. Because you do have a lot of conservative independents. These are right. some of your like Tea Party type folks too. Right. Who- so it's, you know, it's adjacent. It's similar. There's correlation here, but it's not one for one between but, but ideology cons- and party. Conservative has been up toward the top, but has actually been fairly stable. Um, it's actually been moderate that is the label that has seen, has taken the biggest hit. Back in 1992, moderate was the biggest share of voters, 43%. That has fallen to 34%. It's now below conservative by two points. Still above liberal, but it's not the yawning gap that we saw in the early 90s. Which is interesting because independents continue to rise. And now yeah. plurality of people are say they're independent. So People are leaving the parties, but they're not necessarily leaving the parties because they think the parties are too extreme. They're leaving because they think the parties are not principled enough. Yeah. I mean, at least that's what part of what has happened on the right, which has been interesting. So – it, it, it's very fascinating. And then what does this mean for how people view Trump or how people view specific this issues? Is, this is where I get kind of excited because I still strongly identify as a like a small C conservative, right? That like the temperamental, let's everybody just take a break and breathe. Like let's – that like that type of conservative. Um, so, you know, I mean conservative now in some people's minds is like yay tax cuts, yay slashing government. You know, the word conservative means a lot of different things. Um, but I, I have always thought, look, Donald Trump won the White House. He gets to pick who the RNC chair is. He is the head of the Republican Party. Like, he gets to own that. But the label conservative, I don't think that he has earned. He has not earned the right to call himself right. conservative in any way. And in fact, the let's – I wrote my whole column at The Examiner today about this. Like, the wrecking ball style of, like, let's come in, let's take a sledgehammer to everything. That's actually temperamentally the opposite of conservative. Conservative is – like, if you read Edmund Burke, he was not about, like, sweet, let's go ch- chop off people's heads and, like, take sledgehammers to things. He was like, guys, sometimes monarchy can be kind of cool. Let's think about this before we move on. You know, so all of which is to say voters. What about, like, drown it in the bathtub for a Norquist style, though? But wouldn't that be, I mean. Oh, but but I mean, but, I th- but that's, 
that is that's why I'm saying like I'm separating the conservative temperament. Yes. Okay. From like let's slash government. Got it. Conservative. Like I, it. I kind of view those as two different things. Okay. I don't think most people make that distinction, but nonetheless, what have you? Um, which is there is a, a column that Eric Erickson wrote about John Huntsman. Back when John Huntsman was – and he and by the way, Erickson was like, Huntsman's a traitor. He was a, an ambassador for Obama and now he's running against – like he was very critical of Huntsman. But he did say one thing that worries him is like Huntsman's record as governor of Minnesota, uh, Utah was actually very, you know, cutting government, cutting taxes, that type of conservative. But he wasn't a bomb thrower and that some people were interpreting bomb throwing as being a necessary condition for like strong conservatism. Right. And he was like, I don't know that I'm super comfortable with that. So there is this distinction between conservative temperament and what we think of as a policy agenda. Hmm. I would argue that Donald Trump is definitely not conservative in temperament. Right. Questions about his policy agenda, I think, will get answered. So anyhow, what Pew asked was, do you believe that Donald Trump's views are conservative? And overall, only 17% of people think that Trump is conservative on almost all issues. You add another 29% that think he is conservative on most issues. Um, 41% think that he's a mix of conservative and liberal. He does not neatly fit an ideological bucket, which I think is uh, fairly accurate. Um, And 9% of people think he's liberal on all and most issues. And it is Democrats that are most likely to say that they think he is liberal on all or most issues, 11 percent. I mean, it's small differences. Right. But it's twice as many as Repu- Republicans. Who say Wait, the that's thing. fascinating to me. But Republicans are also not necessarily of the mind that Trump is a strong conservative. Only 12 percent of Republicans think that Trump is conservative on all or most issues. It goes up to 21 percent for Democrats. So Democrats are more likely to look at Trump and go like, He's think that he's sort of an ideological extreme, but including, oh, he's a conservative, where actual Republicans are like, no, I mean, he's kind of conservative, but. Right. And I think it's because of some of the social issues where he's been a little bit more mixed on abortion or his history being a Democrat, these kinds of things, which didn't really hurt him in the primary that Democrats just sort of forget about because they're just find him egregious on a variety of other, you know, race related issues that we talked about earlier for Republicans. That was a point of conflict for a lot of Republican voters, people who voted for Ted Cruz, people who, you know, were looking at um, Evan McMullen, I think were found a lot of his views on some of these social issues inconsistent and troubling. So I think that maybe has something to do with it. Yeah. Well, and also, if you think that, you know, okay, did conservative, did it used to mean you believe in the free flow of goods and labor and therefore you're a free trader? Well, so so some of those things are not things that are part of Trump's agenda. And so is that redefining what it means to be Republican? Is it redefining what it means to be conservative? I mean, all of those things. Uh, And what Pew's finding is that, of course, GOP voters – the share saying that free trade agreements are good for the U.S. It continues to fall. It's actually fallen really precipitously. Like it looks like a roller coaster cliff among Republicans. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, you don't have to go back too far. Where a majority of Republicans said, "Yes, free trade. It's a good thing for America." You go back like a year, basically. Yeah, you don't have to go back far at all. And then now it's at twenty four percent. I mean, it that's it's been cut in over half. And that is a a reflection of – that's not a reflection of the economic climate. That's a reflection of the campaign. That's a reflection of people retrofitting their views to fit the climate, to fit what they've been hearing from Trump. Maybe they're getting new information or feel like they're getting new information. That's not some sudden 
change in the economic climate that would cause that dramatic of a shift. Yeah. And and you've got, you know, these questions now of things like uh, sanctions against Russia. We've talked about this previously on the show about how, like, it's just kind of crazy that now suddenly Republicans are not all of them, not a majority of them, but a piece of them are, like, more favorable toward Putin than Russia. And how much of that is because, well, I think Putin doesn't like Clinton and I don't like Clinton, so I guess I like Putin. You know, how much of it is the enemy of my enemy is my friend stuff. Um, So the folks over at Huffington Post and YouGov asked – Um, When Donald Trump takes office as president, do you think he should keep the sanctions against Russia that uh, were just put in place by Barack Obama, Um, remove the sanctions, or you're not sure? Um, So a vast majority, I mean, over 80% of Clinton voters say keep the sanctions. Um, For Trump voters, keep the sanctions is not widely chosen. No. Um, And I mean- fewer than a fifth. Like it's- remove the sanctions against Russia is fairly high. I mean, it's – and again, they've just positioned this as an Obama policy, but it's still like, wow. Yeah, it is. Wow, wow, wow. We have done such a flip on right. Cold War politics. Right. Such a flip. Right. And a lot of that – and so how – exactly. So is that's a reflection, very much a reflection of the campaign in some way rather than some reflection of – a change in what it means to be a Republican or a conservative. I, I think you just have a lot of voters that don't have, like, people don't wake up in the morning and they go, gosh, I'm a Republican because here are 30 well thought through policy positions that I personally hold and hold strongly and I'm ready to defend. That, and so when it, when it's like, oh, I'm a Republican, I have a very loosely held view on Russia. And now the guy who's running my party says Russia's great. So I guess Russia's great. You know, I think, right. I mean, it, that stuff's powerful. Yep. People follow the leader. Yep, yep. So now to the fun stuff. And it turns out jet lag Margie doesn't have a whole lot of brain space for anything other than George Michael. That's basically all that jet lag Margie has the bandwidth for. So I um, I was a big George Michael fan as a child, as a you know young gal. Andrew Bidgley, the other member of Wham!, shares a birthday with me which i found like really oh, like and i think you share a birthday with my sister oh I'll see i'm getting i'm trying to be really good about following people's birthdays this year i put it all in a calendar and when i put yours on it was oh that's good and what are you gonna get andrew originally because he needs <laughs> all the support we can all muster anyway so that felt like i was getting just a little bit closer to george michael and so i was a huge super fan it was the first faith was the first album i bought on cd when compact discs Whoa. came out with the other one being the Simon and Garfunkel greatest hits album which nice is, which is pretty funny given everything that's happened in the news <laughs> in the last year um so uh anyway there was I was looking for some online polling about George Michael and there was in fact some online discussion about using the polls and using online you know, crowd mobilization to get George Michael's music up to the top of the charts. This was in sort of UK press. And Andrew Ridgely tweeted or like or said to somebody like, we should, you know, it should be a song. It shouldn't be Careless Whisper, which was a Wham song. This should be a George Michael written song. And so there was an online poll at The Sun 
uh, to figure out what would the what would be the best song, which is why the question's phrased in this weird way. Which of these self-penned George Michael hits best captures his memory for you? They only have about twenty five hundred votes, which I think is a bit of a UK polling fail. Sorry. <laughs> and the number one song was Faith, followed by would have been my pick, which is Freedom, which is what we played at the yeah. top of the show, which was kind of tied with Father Figure. And then on this list is uh, Jesus to a Child, which I've never even heard of. And then Outside was sort of his, like, you may remember George Michael got busted by the cops for an incident in a public restroom. And so then he did a number afterwards or the video where it was like kind of made fun of it all, but it was a little racy for American audiences. But anyway, mm. that came in at 10%. And then I've never heard of white light. So anyway, faith was the winner of the sun's online poll about self penned George Michael hits. I would have had a different series. Uh, we had what different you, what's, answer categories. What's, what's missing from here? Well, I don't know. So what's missing from here? So I mean, last Christmas, maybe he didn't write that. Maybe that wasn't self-penned. I'm not or what, that. Is that, what, is that a Wham song? It might be a Wham song. And then uh, uh, Kissing a Fool. And then there's a lot of others. Well, it made me really sad then, like in the day or two after Christmas. To I be Want like Your Sex would be out in there, obviously, you know. <laughs> I was out in the car and like the day or two after Christmas and they would play like last Christmas and I'm like, oh, yeah, he died yesterday. He died on Christmas. I know. I know. It was a bit of a tearjerker. I know. I know. It was pretty. uh, It was. And then Carrie Fisher died. Yes. And because I wasn't on Twitter, I found out I was like the last person in the house to find out. I found out from my mother-in-law. Oh, because you were out. Because I wasn't on Twitter. I was in like the blackout zone. Right, so you can't break news when you're not on Twitter. No, I was the even with your in-laws. I wasn't the breaker. <laughs> I was the, the breaky. Um, so key findings. Well, with 2016 behind us, let's just focus. So we have a lot more than 2016 to talk about. There's still a lot of polls about 2016. It's not going to let us go that easily. <laughs> yes, and as George Michael once said, "People, you can never change the way they feel." But looking at the polling on liberal versus conservative views toward trade or Russia ties, maybe George Michael might have been wrong this one time. Don't rely on Twitter polls, folks, unless they are conducted by Carrie Fisher's dog, then they are perfect. And as George Michael might have said, take these polls and make them true somehow. So here's to a new year and new discussions about public opinion and making the polls true again that's right <laughs> you can find us on twitter at at the pollsters or individually at margie omero and at casel to sanderson we're on facebook where throughout the week you can find links to the stories we think are most interesting and might talk about in more depth on the upcoming show we're at www.thepollsters.com where you can find links to all of the ex- excellent polling resources that we love uh, make sure to write a review. Uh, let us know what you think of the show. Um, we love you guys. We hope you have a wonderful 2017, and we're looking forward to another year of The Pollsters with you. Thanks. Bye. A Westwood One podcast production.